0: Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the Church today, and how the Gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the Church living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. There is a simple procedure that you probably learned in kindergarten that will serve you well today. This procedure taught you what to do if your clothes caught on fire. It consists of three simple steps, stop, drop, Roll. When there is a fire in your life, a problem that you have been unable to stop the spread of, do not try to fight it on your own. Don't run for the roofs. Don't try to fill a bucket or pry the extinguisher off the wall. Stop. Stop all movement. Stop all your attempts to fix it or make it better. Stop and then drop. Drop your defenses. Drop your excuses. Drop all plans. Drop the need to know anything. Drop the need to do anything. Stop and drop to your knees. On your knees, in prayer, is the position you must assume if you want the fire marshal to put the fire out. God is the fire marshal. And when you roll the situation over into God's hands, you can rest assured that help is on the way. There are some fires in your life that you simply cannot put out. These are the stop, drop, and roll over to God problems. These problems are like fires that will spread unless you do something quick. In the Archbishop's Corner is where Archbishop Leonard Blair will encourage you to stop, drop, and roll your problems over to God. In faith, and with faith, you will not get burned. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for sharing some time with us in the Archbishop's Corner. How are you doing today? Very well, thank you. Today, I'm sure you'll be happy to know that today is the start of National Build a Better Image Week. And it's a time for everyone to evaluate their professional image and take steps necessary to improve it. Now, in recent years, the Catholic Church has been negatively portrayed in the media, and its image has taken a toll on the church attendance and, and participation in the church. What do you think we must do to repair the image of the church, partially, partially, I say, caused by the sexual abuse scandal?
1: Well, that's a very difficult question. And, of course, my uh, I know that by using the word image, y- you don't mean to suggest that it's just about uh, image in a worldly sense, but but there's validity to what you're saying in as much as the perception or the idea that people have about uh, the church. Uh, and I can only say that yes, it has taken a, a, a very uh, brutal uh, turn uh, with regard to this great scandal of sexual abuse. I can only say that um, in this world, we are a church uh, that is also marked by sin and the failure of people, cl- not just clergy, but all of us, uh, mm-hmm. in some fashion or another, not always to be models of the gospel and of what Christ taught us to be. So, the only, thing we, the only remedy for it is by each of us making a commitment, whether that we're priests, religious or laity, to personally live the faith in its fullness and with great integrity and to be a model uh, of the gospel, uh, to be a model to actually live the truths of our faith. You know, one of the fathers of the church had this phrase, to be and not just seem to be a friend of God. And I think that says an awful lot, to be and not just seem to be uh, a friend of God. And of course, the way we're friend with God is by obeying the commandments, by living an upright life, uh, by uh, Uh, giving witness to the truths of the gospel and also when we sin, when we fall, when we fail, as we all do in some way, uh, that we uh, turn to God's mercy and seek forgiveness and have a firm purpose of amendment. That is to say, a firm purpose to sin no more. So, you know, in one sense our life and our fate, our reputation is in God's hands, uh, but also uh, we realize that in this Veil of Tears, Um, many times very sad and tragic and difficult things can happen and what did Jesus say Uh, in the world there will be scandals but woe to those through whom they come Mm. so we have to be very vigilant and sober and alert and I guess the key word here is integrity we also have to be people of integrity
0: I think you're so right in saying that it begins with taking personal individual responsibility on all of our parts and that's how we, we repair the image of the Catholic Church that has been so tarnished by the sexual abuse scandal.
1: On a do note that perhaps is both serious and lighter. No. Uh, I, I remember this story when you talk when you use the word image, that um, uh, when Pope Saint John Paul died, some of the Swiss guards were telling favorite stories of their uh, you know life with the Pope because they were around him a lot. Mm-hmm. And one Swiss guard, now this wasn't told publicly, but somebody I know heard it who's over there. The Swiss guard says the, a memorable thing with him was that once uh, the Pope, John Paul, was receiving people as he did, you know, on some after mass or some occasion, and some cheeky German student said to him, Holy Father, you know, you don't have a very good image in Germany. And so the Pope, you know, Pope John Paul could be pretty feisty when he wanted to be. True. And so he moved on in the line, and after he went to about two or three people, he came back to the Germ- young German, and he said, you know, Jesus Christ did not have a very good image, too, during his earthly life. And then he went on. <laughs> so, you know, uh, it, it, you have to, we have to, of course, make a huge distinction that if we don't have a good image because we're true to the gospel and faithful and we preach the hard sayings and the hard demands, beginning with ourselves, for living a, a converted and holy life, that's one thing, if the world uh, doesn't have a good image of us because of that. But if it doesn't have a good image because of our sins and our scandals and our failures uh, uh, and our hypocrisy, well, that's a very different thing.
0: Good point, very good point. Tomorrow marks the 399th years since the pilgrims set sail for the New World on their boat called the Mayflower. Now, every September 16th is Mayflower Day, a day to celebrate the religious freedom that the pilgrims sought. Talk a little bit about your perception of the state of religious freedom in our society today.
1: Well, let me say a word about history first, because I'm always very interested in it. Of course, the Mayflower pilgrims were uh, Protestants, and uh, they were fleeing because Protestants were persecuting Protestants in England at the time. But we also know, of course, that there was no quarter given to Catholics. Uh, and so Baltimore, Maryland was established to be a place of Catholic religious freedom, eventually, not right away. Uh, so there was some some progress made there, but that too uh, didn't last very long. Uh, and uh, that prejudice continued um, until the, uh, well, the prejudice has always been there, but the freedom of religion only came full circle with uh, our independence and, um, you know, the guarantees of of religious freedom. But also, interestingly, you know, when the pilgrims landed uh, in uh, New England, um, the uh, uh, Spanish had already established a foothold in Florida. And so uh, it wasn't like, uh this was the uh, you know we have to put it in context that it wasn't just uh english protestant colonization uh, in the united states but there was also a catholic presence uh in the united states even before that now with regard to religious freedom today the big point that we have to make constantly is that freedom of religion does not just mean freedom of worship uh freedom of religion means that when we leave the church on sunday we just don't have freedom to go to church we also have the freedom to live by our faith and the teachings of our faith uh, in everyday life,
0: unencumbered a, by government pressure.
1: Yes, and in a contentious society as we have today, when there are fundamental, profound uh, disagreements about morality, in particular, uh, this is becoming more and more of a challenge. Because, you know, what one person claims a right to do, uh, and maybe is even allowed to do legally to another person in keeping with their religious faith, it is incompatible and they, they don't feel they can participate or encourage it. Uh, so this becomes then a question, I think, for example, of abortion, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, for, of, a, of a doctor and a nurse who are uh, p- people who oppose abortion, um, that they will not coerced into, uh, by the government or by society into participating or performing uh, such acts. But that kind of religious freedom is being sorely tested today you know Um, and that that creates difficulty using a religious argument a religious freedom argument some people for example today are seeking an exemption from vaccinations for their children that puts them and other uh, children in schools at risk now in the catholic faith there's nothing that uh, prevents vaccinations that's not something that we see as contrary to our religious beliefs. But what do you do in cases where other people uh, claim this right? So it becomes more delicate when you get into things like that. But nonetheless, be that as it may, we have to find a way to have have real teeth to the freedom that we have of religion.
0: When you get into areas like, like vaccinations, for instance, it becomes more delicate because not only do your actions then claiming that your religious right prevents you from accepting vaccinations for your children but that act might endanger other people and a whole community of other people as a matter of fact so you're not just talking about yourself you're talking about your relationship to the wider community surrounding you
1: yes and, you know, really, it, 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 it is a, a very uh, a serious question and serious challenge. Wednesday, September
0: 18th, is Respect Day, a day that started back in 2008 when the group Futures Without Violence partnered with Macy's for the first National Respect Day. Teaching respect and raising awareness about domestic and dating violence was done with the goal of ending violence against women and children. Over the years, Respect Campaign has continued teaching young people about respect in relationships in order to combat domestic violence, child abuse, and sexual assault. Do you have any thoughts on this?
1: Well, I do. I, I think a positive thought is I think we all welcome any initiative that tries to inculcate respect for other people in our society and in the world, in our families, etc. On the other hand, I have a little bit of a, a hesitation in this sense Only that isn't it sad that we have to have nonprofit groups or organizations to teach respect when in fact that's a fundamental uh, human lesson that should be imparted through family life. And we see so much of a breakdown today in marriage and the family. And so we wind up having to rely on other means. Not that there always haven't been the need for other ways to to teach this, uh, whether it's our educational system, And above all, through the practice of religious faith or other organizations. But sometimes I think, you know, that the things that in our society are suffering for lack of strong marriage and family life, I don't know how they can be made up for just by, you know, the goodwill of different groups and organizations, even though obviously they have to try and we have to give them every encouragement.
0: Let's now take a look, Archbishop, at the road to happiness in life, and this is where we examine the wisdom of Pope Francis that is drawn from some of the Pope's writings. So I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's address, and then we'll ask you to comment with your own thoughts on what Pope Francis has said. This is taken from Pope Francis' address delivered April 21st of 2014, and it's called, Kindness is More Rewarding Than Money. Pope Francis says, Differences do not stand in the way of harmony, joy, and peace. Rather, they are opportunities for deeper mutual knowledge and understanding. Being open to a wide variety of religious experiences shows true and referential love for one's neighbor. Every religious community expresses itself through love and not violence and is never ashamed of showing kindness. People who nourish kindness in their heart find that such kindness leads to a peaceful conscience and to profound joy even in the midst of difficulties and misunderstandings. Even when affronted, kindness is never weak, but instead shows its strength by refusing to take revenge. Kindness is its own reward. It brings us closer to God, who is the supreme good. It helps us to think like Him, to see our lives in the light of His loving plan for each one of us, and enables us to delight in life's daily joys. Kindness helps us through our difficulties and our struggles. Kindness is more rewarding than money, because money will always disappoint us we were created to receive God's love and give it in our turn, not to measure everything in terms of money or power, which is a danger that threatens us all. Archbishop, your thoughts.
1: Yes, well, of course, uh, kindness, um, we can, you know, the great hallmark of attribute of God in the Old Testament is uh, hesed, which can be translated as loving kindness, uh, the loving kindness of God. Uh, And of course, it is a kindness that uh, is incarnate in the person of Christ and we know that what Christ taught us kindness doesn't just mean uh, some sugar-coated sweetness uh, an indifference to things or or just uh, accepting everything but but kindness the loving kindness of God uh, calls us to, to repentance and faith to conversion and let's face it to be kind is not always easy uh, It's not just like we turn on our kindness button, and so we just, no. There are a lot of things that can, and sometimes very bitter, uh, cruel, difficult things that uh, can uh, somehow uh, divert us uh, or or tempt us not to be kind. So it's always a struggle. It's not just a a sentimental thing. But to be truly kind, even in difficult circumstances, that's certainly an important part of living uh, the love of neighbor that Christ uh, commanded of us. Indeed, the whole Bible commands of us.
0: I like the fact that the Pope is saying kindness is its own reward. It brings us closer to God.
1: Well, we become like God when we when we when we are kind in that way.
0: Let's uh, take a look now at our gospel reading for this twenty fourth Sunday in Ordinary Time the 15th day of September. Today's reading is from Luke's Gospel, the 15th chapter. And after the Gospel is dramatically presented, we'll talk with you, Archbishop. Ask for your thoughts on what the Gospel means.
2: Now the tax collectors
0: and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes
2: murmured. This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance.
0: Archbishop, your thoughts on the significance of this gospel in our lives
1: today? It's uh, one of the most memorable and powerful of all, because it's about um, uh, Jesus uh, saying that he had come uh, not for the righteous, but for those who are sinners. Uh, And he talks about the joy of our Heavenly Father at repentance and return of those who have strayed from his love through sin or rejection. And, of course, the crowning of this gospel is the uh, story of the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. And I suppose we are a lot like that older son who is angry Mm -hmm. because his father is so good to the wayward son, and he, the good son, doesn't get much attention or celebration. Uh, And uh, I think all of us have that temptation to look down on those who uh, have uh, gone astray and who... Uh, have chosen a path that's sinful and evil, and uh, we we're tempted to think, well you know it's a good thing we're not like that and then if we imagine uh, what Christ is saying about the mercy of God and god's desire to uh, for such a person to come back and be reconciled, there's a kind of spiritual jealousy that we can have for other over other people or spiritual jealousy we can have over the the goodness and mercy of God. And we have to be very careful of that.
0: How can we avoid becoming resentful and bitter? Because someone who has been a real sinner now is forgiven, welcomed home after squandering his inheritance on loose living, while here I've been working very hard to keep God's commandments
1: and had little fun in the process. Well, I think, as I've often said, uh, it's not a question of feelings. I think people always get this uh, mixed up, you know, because they don't feel like it, or because they have the very opposite feelings of anger, rage, resentment, the point is you have to have the will, not the feeling, but you have to have the will, kneeling in prayer before God, to say, I, I, everything in me resents this and rebels against it, but give me the grace, Lord, to have a change of heart. Help me uh, to will, to forgive, to will to ex- accept your mercy for the, these, someone who's hurt me or offended me or whatever. That can be a tremendously powerful uh, uh, experience of, of difficulty, you know, to be, because there are cases where people are gravely hurt, wounded, offended, sinned against, uh, and that's where we have to ask God for that grace. We have to have the will, the desire to seek what God wants us to do. And if we have, if we will that, even if we don't feel it, we can still keep asking God to, to give us the grace.
0: Speaking of what God wants us to do, does God expect us to be as forgiving as that father in this parable? Or is this just a pretty story?
1: No, God expects us to be as forgiving. Uh, Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. But again, it's the struggle to do so, the desire, the, 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 the will to do so, even when we're pulled down by our weakness.
0: Let's take a look at some of the questions now that have been submitted by our listeners. For instance, Rita from Waterbury says, Recently in Norwich, England, there was a helter-skelter, which is an amusement park ride, installed at a cathedral. There was another instance like this at a Rochester cathedral in which a nine-hole mini-golf course was built inside the church. How far is too far in using unconventional methods to attract people to the church? How does the church appeal to the public without losing reverence at a place of worship?
1: Well, Rita, those are uh, real, but hopefully uh, isolated instances of the use of a church building or incorporating into a church building something that really is not appropriate for divine worship. And I will say this, that there's nothing that's going to be accomplished really for the good of religion or the honor and glory of God by using gimmicks to try to bring people into church. I think, uh, ultimately, it is a question of faith and the reverence uh, and worship due to God. And I think we see signs of this, uh, that where people are serious about their faith, serious about living it in faith, hope, and charity, serious about worshiping God, they do draw people. And uh, people people are drawn to that. Uh, And so, uh, we always have to have all of our activities marked by a profound sense of reverence for God and uh, worship that is truly uh, dignified and reverent.
0: So you would say that there are some instances where you can go too far in trying to attract people to come to church then?
1: Oh, yes, certainly.
0: Okay, Alex from Norfolk says, I went to Our Lady of the Lord's Shrine in Litchfield for Mass recently, and afterwards the priest said that they would be anointing the sick. Many people lined up, and I think it's wonderful that it is offered to those who are in need of it. I didn't stay long after, though, because I wasn't sure who qualified to participate. What is the purpose of this sacrament, and who can receive it?
1: Well, Alex, as the name suggests, it is the anointing, the sacrament of the sick. Now the question is, what is sickness? Well, uh, Strictly speaking, the sacrament is reserved for those who are seriously ill. You don't necessarily have to be on your deathbed, but you have to be seriously ill. Or, for example, you are going to be undergoing surgery. Mm -hmm. And so that would be an appropriate, uh, because obviously if you need surgery, there's an illness involved and you you can be anointed for that. Also, the church provides that if someone is really uh, infirm because of old age, that it's not uh out of the question for them to be anointed with with the sick if they're bear, bearing really the in, infirmity of old age in some in some way but for people who are healthy and well or who are just uh feeling down in the dumps or something uh that the the sacrament of the sick strictly speaking is not meant for them i don't know the circumstance of the how the priest made the announcement but when i make it i i try to because you know you have to do it in a way that people understand to explain a little bit what this is about and i have to tell you that i sometimes have been very concerned about this i've been uh, at a ch- had the experience of where they offered anointing of the sick at mass and the altar servers were coming up to receive it little kids who are not mm. in the slightest bit, bit sick because they did they it wasn't properly explained and they didn't understand and that certainly is not a proper use of the sacrament unless but, of course, we have to be careful because uh, we have to also know that perhaps the child does have a, Ill- a chronic illness or something. But, uh, anyway, that's, that's the uh, best answer I can give to your question.
0: There used to be a time when this sacrament was called unction and was given only to those people that were on their deathbeds. However, we come to the realization that through this sacrament, it does have the ability not only to heal the soul, but to heal the body as well, does it not?
1: Yes, indeed, and I would add that the proper the church says the proper sacrament to receive on your deathbed is viaticum, that is to receive holy communion. Now, some people might be unconscious, unconscious, or they might be so ill that they can't. Uh, but the pro- proper sacrament is uh, in, in your last, uh, as long as you're able to still receive at the end to receive holy communion. Viaticum, literally in Latin, means for the journey. It means you're receiving the Lord Jesus and the Holy Eucharist to accompany on your journey from this life to eternity. And also, needless to say, I pray for the grace that if I'm on my deathbed, I can also go to confession. Uh, That would be very, very, very appropriate as well.
0: Jen has a question, and Jen is from Madison, and she says, In speaking to a friend of mine who was on the fence about going to confession, She told me that she was reluctant to do so because she didn't believe her actions were truly sins and therefore wasn't genuinely sorry for them. She also added that she knew that she was likely going to repeat the same sins. What advice would you give to someone who wants to receive the grace of going to confession but is morally confused in this way?
1: Well, this is interesting because basically what she's saying is she doesn't need to be sorry and she doesn't need to go to confession because what she's doing is not sinful. Well, that's when we have to examine our conscience. For all I know, maybe she's right. Maybe it's not. Uh, but then again, maybe she's wrong about that. And I think uh, the advice I would give is that she ought to uh, uh, find some good spiritual reading about uh, a confession or about examination of conscience. Uh, and maybe she should seek some counsel from uh, a priest or someone else about the nature of what she thinks she's doing that's not sinful so we all have to you know we all have the duty to form our conscience right we Mm -hmm. have to live by our conscience but we have the because there is such a thing as having an incorrect conscience a wrong conscience and there's uh, we have the duty to form a correct right conscience and we do that uh, i would i i would think as i'm saying this that the best thing she could do would be to maybe look at the catechism of the catholic church or the adult catechism for the united states and to uh, read the chapter about life in Christ, which is about the life of virtue and about uh, the nature of sins. And maybe that could be a very good way for her to uh, help be, uh, be formed in a, in a correct conscience.
0: Good advice. What about the idea of also talking with the priest about these specific actions and, and getting his advice in, in pro- going a little bit deeper into her motivation and what it means for her with the priest, with the confessor?
1: Well, with the confessor, yes, if she's in confession. Uh, if not, I just to, to as a matter of inquiry. I still think it'd be a good idea to to look at that um, that catechism uh-huh. uh, first.
0: Archbishop, we've come to the end of our program time together. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing, please?
1: Lord, as we see the summer passing away and we grow closer to autumn, we reflect on uh, the change of the seasons, not only in nature but the seasons of our lives as well. And we pray that wherever we are in life, uh, we may always be thoughtful and prayerful about where you are calling us and your will for us, and that you will bless us in our attempt, our striving every day to love you above all things and our neighbors, ourselves. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. It's always a pleasure to spend time with you. Uh, We wish you a pleasant week. Thank you, you too.